You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue our series in Ephesians, and we are, believe it or not, coming very close to the end. We have looked at two different chapters in Ephesians, and we're making our way uh, through Ephesians 3 now, where we will finish our series on the gospel. Uh, last week, I began uh, a two-part message to you entitled, A Culture of Christian Investment. A Culture of Christian Investment. And uh, we're going to finish that series, um, or that, that sermon on Father's Day, and so I hope that you'll be here for that. Uh, I want to encourage you that, uh, that you invite some men to hear uh, what it means to be uh, men of God, what it means to be fathers and husbands. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, and we're going to finish that this morning, but we're returning to a fee, or finish that in a few weeks, but we're re- returning to Ephesians this morning. And our series, if you'll remember, is the title of it is The Gospel, Immeasurably More Than You Thought. And I hope that that is true for you. I hope that during this series, as we've been walking through Ephesians, that you've come to know the gospel as more than you thought it was. And not just in some more information kind of ways, but more than you thought it was in terms of that it's grown in your heart and in affection, that you've deepened your love for what God has done through the gospel. Well, what Paul begins to do in verse or in chapter three, is he begins to wrap up his walk through the gospel. And it's somewhat of an ending before he comes to instructions on how we're to live as a result of the gospel, what it looks like in conduct ways in our lives. The major argument in chapter 3 is huge for us to get, and I hope that we get it this morning. It's huge, especially on days like homecoming. What does it look like for us to do ministry in the coming days? I want to frame it for you in a question, a question that I hope resounds in your heart. Why should we, Southwide Baptist Church, why should we do ministry for another year? Why should we do ministry for another year? Why should we give our lives to it? Why should we work and labor? Why should we weep and why should we lead? Why should we do anything that we do here at our church for another year? This is a question we should ask really at the beginning of every year and and throughout the year. Why is it that we do what we do and why should we keep doing it? Well, Paul answers the question in this passage. And so we'll begin our look at these 13 verses this morning in three different parts, actually. Beginning in verse 1, we'll go through verse 13, but we're going to divide our time over the course of three weeks. There's one major argument throughout the 13 verses 
But Paul really gives us three different lenses through which to see that same argument. And so we're going to look at it in that manner, beginning this morning and going through the next three weeks. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, look with me at verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Lord, I pray this morning that as we again look to your word, that we would see therein how it is that we are to treasure this gospel of grace. God, thank you that you saw fit on a road to Damascus to call one out of sin and rebellion against you and to proclaim the gospel to him. And thank you that you sent him to Ephesus to proclaim the gospel in Ephesus. And thank you that some in Ephesus saw fit to invest it in their children and so on and so forth until today we stand at the pages of the very words that were written to the church at Ephesus and we receive the same gospel. God, thank you for what you've done throughout the ages in the history of our church. Thank you for 74 years of faithful ministry, days that, God, we didn't always know what was next, but you always did. And you were leading your church. Your word says that you are the head of your church. And so today on this 74th year and beginning 75 years of ministry, we look to you and we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your direction. But most importantly, we ask that you would help us to never lose sight of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there is one here this morning who's never been raised to life in Christ, May this be the day of their salvation. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Well, before we get too far into the passage, let me just answer the question for you. The question that I stated right at the very beginning, why should we do ministry for another year? What exactly is it that is at stake? And I want to argue from this passage this morning that the church continues to do ministry year after year because it is the very gospel itself that is at stake. Just like last week we looked at women and and we'll see in the lives of men in a couple of few weeks that it is the responsibility of men and women in the lives of the church to younger men and women and then also in their homes as they lead their children. It is the responsibility of men and women to invest in the next generation in the same way the church must understand it is our responsibility to invest. We, like men and women, hold the gospel in sacred trust. And we continue to do ministry year after year because the very gospel itself is at stake. I want to frame it for you in this way, this truth. The church holds the sacred the, the gospel in sacred trust in this generation for the world and for every generation to come. The church holds the gospel in sacred trust in this generation for the world and for every generation to come. That is the truth that we need to see in this passage. Now, we've been studying the gospel for a number of weeks now. Chapters 1 and 2, we've seen quite a number of deeply profound truths. I hope that you have been stirred by what God has done for us. I have been stirred in a fresh way just as we've walked through this passage. And so, just to remind you, in chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God has chosen us from before the foundation of the world. There was an eternal plan for His glory that He set apart a people for Himself. And this was all done before He ever created the world. Then He redeemed us with the very blood of His only Son. He, He gave the blood of Jesus in our place that we might be bought back, purchased as a possession for Him, saved from the debt, the penalty from our sin, that death that was owed to each and every single one of us. And so if you're in Christ this morning, God has redeemed you and He has ultimately sealed you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has sealed you for all of eternity. And if you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been born again, you can know this morning that you will spend all of eternity in heaven with God because of Jesus and because of His keeping you by His Spirit. He's sealed us. And He has established us together as a church. So just as if you thought that it was just you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. No, He's given us a body where we come together and we, we unite together in Christian love and in Christian fellowship. And, and we learn and hold one another accountable. And, and the gospel continues to work in the church. And so that's chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet we have been made alive together in Christ. That this new life we have is because God, by His grace, has saved us through faith. 
And that you and I can now have life raised together with Jesus, not just believing in a risen Savior, but also participating in His life. He's made us alive and therefore has appointed us to good works. Remember, what does it cost you to follow Jesus? He's, he's given us new life that we might live those lives to serve and to honor Him. And so we live our life for good works for Jesus And then he's broken down all potential barriers. You remember race, economics, social barriers, all of these barriers that could come up between us. And he's united one people as if he has restored what was separated at Babel. And now all of us united together to serve our king forever. That is the gospel that we now know. Amen. That's good news. And yet it is not where he leaves us. These are weighty truths and we have only glimpsed the surface of what God has done in Christ. But they are the weight behind the very first phrase in chapter 3. For this reason. Paul is saying to the church, there is, there is so much good and so much weight and value in all that I just told you that it drives me to something. I cannot just sit, sit idle and, and think on these truths. There's something that brings me to act. In other words, because of all that is true, I'm going to make a claim here about my life and a claim about your life that really, really matters. So follow this with me. It's a, it's a claim that first Paul picks up. So Paul argues in a sense that he has some sense of personal responsibility given to him before the Ephesians were ever saved. Notice it there in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, all of you Gentiles at the church there in Ephesus, assuming that you have heard, and here's what he says, I'm assuming you've heard of this particular reality, the stewardship of, of God's grace that was given to me for you. The stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And we're going to unpack that uh, in a few weeks. We're going to unpack uh, this whole main idea and we're going to unpack these first six verses together here this morning. But what I want you to do is get your, your mind around the main truth and your heart around what is being said here? And because Paul begins here and then he follows this kind of trail all the way through to verse 13. Paul feels a real sense of responsibility for the church at Ephesus. It's not just that they've gotten saved, they, they've come to know Jesus and now they just kind of are cast to their own to do their own thing. There's a sense in which he has a stewardship of God's grace for them. Specifically, God's grace, and we'll see that more in just a second, but it's, it's describing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his own new life in Christ. He's, he's describing this, this sense in which he has come to know the grace of God himself. And yet it is objective as well. It's not just what he's experienced, but it is this body of truth, the grace that has been offered to the world through Jesus. It's the gospel. And so now he has a personal responsibility having received this grace. He's been made a steward of this gospel for the sake of Ephesus. And so listen to the way he describes that. 
Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There were those in Ephesus who likely didn't know Paul. He had led many to the Lord and and there were disciples in Ephesus that were leading others to the Lord. That's what he means when he says, assuming that you've heard this stewardship that was given me, this responsibility that was given to me. But that word stewardship is incredibly important. Stewardship of God's grace given to me. The word steward describes one who has been given something as a sacred trust. It's been entrusted to them. Does not ultimately belong to them. Ultimately, it belongs to someone else. Namely, the one who gives it. Whenever you entrust something to someone and you ask them to care for that thing and to manage that thing, to be responsible for that thing, then you are a steward of that that thing or that object or that person. We think about this in terms of financial stewardship all the time in the church. That God owns everything that we have. Ultimately, He's given us those things and we're just stewards to manage the things that He's given us based on the way that He's taught us to live. All of that has its root in the garden when God gave Adam the earth to manage and to rule over. He was doing so in a way that would please God. Sometimes we think about stewardship in, the terms, of, in terms of our children. That God has given us children. They're, they're not ultimately ours. They're ultimately His. The Bible says that our children are a heritage from the Lord. And so we raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Why? Because God, who is the one whom, who they report to, God, who is the one who owns their life, has given them to us that we might honor Him in the way that we raise them. And so, this is the principle of stewardship. And yet, Paul doesn't apply that principle to children or to finances here. Possessions or any of the normal things you might think about. Paul actually applies the principle to the grace that he's been given. Both that he's experienced and this body of truth that he's come to know to be true, namely the Gospel. And so he says that I am a steward of the Gospel, Ephesus, for you, I've been given this responsibility. Again, two dimensions to it. His personal experience and then the other dimension, which I think is the driving one, is this objective truth that he's come to know. And so that's what he's saying. Paul feels a, a holy responsibility to keep the Gospel as a sacred trust. It's been entrusted to him that he might do with it what Jesus wants him to do with it. That's the whole reason he feels such a burden to write the letter to Ephesus, reminding them of the gospel, because it is his stewardship to do so. So it is personal for him, but this is where it comes key for us. It is not just personal. Notice verse 7 He again makes it personal. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. He's talking about himself. According to the gift of God's grace, which was given me. He says again, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. And so this kind of remains personal. But what I want you to see is that it doesn't land there. It doesn't remain. Paul received a stewardship of the gospel that it might land somewhere. Well, where is it? What is his foundational argument? What is he leading to? It's there in verse 10. 
Why has Paul been made a steward of the gospel? Verse 10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that through the church, there's something that must be done, not just the church getting the gospel, but the church taking the gospel. Something is happening through us. The gospel would move and go through us. He says, through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What is the wisdom he's describing? This manifold wisdom of God. Well, he tells you in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what is that eternal purpose? We have already seen it. It is that God is saving for himself a people through the gospel. You see... Paul was made a steward of the gospel that he might get it to those who were Gentiles, those who were lost. But it was never meant to stop there. It was meant to go through them and to continue through them and ultimately through the church. Paul is saying that he was made a steward of the gospel, that the gospel might be given to the church and then that through the church God might accomplish his eternal purpose. There is a stewardship felt by Paul. But that stewardship extends to the church at Ephesus. And believers have been passing on this gospel since the first century. And you and I exist today and hold this gospel in our hands because for 2,000 years, Christians have continued to pass on the gospel. You see, we hold it as a sacred trust. The church holds the gospel in sacred trust in this generation so that the world around us might know the gospel, but so that it might continue to every generation to come. We have a gospel stewardship Southwide. If you want to know the reason why we get up and do ministry every single day and every single year, it is because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. And you and I have come to know the gospel as such a treasure in our lives that we cannot contain it. And we see ourselves as vessels taking that gospel to the world. That's why we do ministry. It's the only reason. This is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4. I told the church at Corinth, we have this treasure. He's talking about the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay or some translations read earthen vessels. We're just weak vessels in order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God's gospel, he has ordained that it would go through into the world through the church and that we would carry it for him. The gospel is entrusted to our care. It's a precious gift. Seventy-four years. Somewhere within that 74 years, a family member or a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon 
or a man in this church who just loved you or a a woman in this church who just loved you or another child in this church who loved you and loved Jesus told you about the gospel and you're sitting in this room today saved because God Almighty through that faithful servant brought you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a stewardship. What we do matters because God has chosen from eternity past not only to save a people for Himself, but ultimately that that people would continue to carry the message of salvation into all of the world. When we gather together for worship, we worship because the gospel matters. When we gather together in our connect groups and we participate in biblical community where we we study the Bible together and we invest in each other's lives, we do so because the gospel matters. When we are growing to be more like Jesus and and we strive for good works and character like His, we do so because the Gospel matters. Whenever we strive to be faithful financial stewards and parent stewards and all of these other stewards that Scripture calls us to, we do so because we believe that the Gospel matters and is worth that investment. When we serve, In nursery, Awana, children's ministry, student ministry, when we serve on various committees, when we serve in our community, when we volunteer to help serve in in roles that would be faithful to the kingdom and helpful to the body of Christ, we do so because the gospel matters. When we make disciples, when we give of ourselves to invest in just a few men or in just a few women in order that they might come to know Jesus in a more intimate way and grow more deeply in Him, we do that because the Gospel matters. When we engage in evangelizing the lost, telling people around Walton County who need Jesus and across the world and in Peru, when we do that, we do that because the Gospel matters. Romans 10, 13, 10, uh, 13 and following. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How is it that they call? God is appointed in verse 14. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? You can't, you can't call upon Jesus if you've not believed in Him. And how are they to believe in whom Him whom they've never heard? You can't believe on Jesus if you've never heard it. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So Paul in the final verse of this passage says, so I ask you, and he, I don't know what he's describing as far as his suffering, maybe, maybe prison, maybe some other thing. There's kind of a little bit of debate over what exactly is he suffering, but we know There was much suffering for the gospel. But what does he say to them? So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So the message of Paul to the church, Jesus to the church this morning, is that we would not lose heart because what we do matters because the gospel is at stake and the gospel is worth it. So... How should we understand that? 
How is it that we should understand the gospel being at stake? What is it that we're to do? What do we hold as sacred in the life of the church? Well, Paul seems to argue that we should understand this stewardship of the gospel through at least three particular lenses. The first of which we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at what time we have left. And then over the next two weeks, we're going to see these other two lenses. And so I hope that you'll see them there with me. So so what is it that we should understand the gospel stewardship of the church through what lens? Well, it begins in verse one. So let's kind of start our our time there and then let's work our way really through about verse six. So Paul says in verse one, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assume that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And so he says a couple of things here. Notice verse three. He says in defining that, what is this stewardship and how did he get it? Verse three, he says how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So who was it made known to this this mystery, this incredible truth of the gospel that is deep and rich and unfathomable and unsearchable? He says the gospel, this mystery was made known to me by revelation. I want you to hear me very carefully this morning. You will not come to know the gospel apart from the revelation of God to show you the gospel. The good news comes because God has revealed it to us through Jesus Christ. And so he says that has been made known to me by revelation, made known to Paul. And then he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ when you read this. And so it's been made known to Paul, but now they're reading it, and now it's being made known to the church. Specifically, what is it that they're reading? They're reading a letter that was sent to them that they might know the gospel and how to live as a result. This letter is the letter of Ephesians. Paul knows, and the church knows and holds the gospel because God revealed it to them through Paul as he's written it in a letter. And by extension, that written letter is now contained in 66 other books that we hold in our possession. God saw fit by His Word, by His Word, that you would come to know Jesus And the good news of his gospel. We are stewards, in other words, of the gospel by the word of God. We're stewards by the word of God. And I really want you to feel this this morning. I want you to feel this as precious. There were times in the history of the church where they didn't have what we have today, the complete word of the living God. We are at such an advantage to be able to read this book and to be able to know what God has done in Christ. You can go to Walmart this morning and you can buy a copy of God's Word. If you have a smartphone, you can download it on your app or your tablet. It is so readily accessible to us today. 
today and you need to know that when you hold this book, you hold a treasure because God Himself has spoken to you through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and has called you to faith in Him because of this Word. And you have that treasure in front of you this morning. Paul wants us to know this. He says in Ephesians, he says that we have this mystery and he tells us how the mystery was made known to him. It's made known by revelation. He says, I've written of it briefly. He's circling back to chapter one and verse seven. If you remember, it says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. He's made it known to us. And and Paul is describing this for himself and for the church. He's revealed Himself to you. Paul says that it is the mystery of Christ that was made known, not just to you, but to the sons of men in other generations. Not quite in the same way, but it was made known to them. And yet, we have the Gospel in in a far clearer way today, revealed through His holy apostles and through the prophets by the Spirit. He agrees with the writer of Hebrews when the writer of Hebrews says that at many times in ways, in many, in, in, at many times in many ways, God spoke at times past through our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. You get the opportunity to know God in His Word. You live... You and I live an incredible, an incredible day as the people of God to be able to know these things. You have more resources available to you to know the unsearchable riches of the gospel than ever before in human history. And we, above all generations, should treasure this gospel and hold it as a stewardship. First Peter 10, 110 tells us that the, the angels even desired to look into this and were unable to. We have such a treasure, a gem to be able to know God in this way. You hold his very word in your hand. I hope that you get the preciousness of this as one who's been entrusted with something of infinite value miraculously preserved for 2,000 years and given light in such a way that you and I would come to know God and to be able to believe His Gospel. Two of our core values as a church represent how much we should love this book. Gospel proclamation and Bible saturation. This ought to be the very testament of our lives as we live in the church I shared this with our group Wednesday night. The the gospel is the the word of Christ is said to to need to dwell among us richly, richly. And when I think about the word richly, I think about a a dessert that's just so sweet you can hardly eat it. The the sweetness is dripping off of it. And if we hold the gospel and, and the word of God in a sacred trust, the, the word ought to be dripping off of our lives because our lives are so rich with the Word of Christ because it dwells so richly among us. And so we are stewards by the gospel of the Gospel by the Word of God. And so it is that Word that has revealed to us. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Well, what is the mystery? What is the mystery He's describing? 
The words in verse 6 have been inserted to help us understand what he's, what he's pointing to. He says, this mystery is. In the original, he just says, the mystery of Christ. You could put a dash there. That, and here's the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ. Jesus, through the Gospel. Three things Paul says there. Number one, that the sinner can become a son. The Word has revealed to us that the sinner, has, the sinner can become a son. You and I, sinners by nature, separated from God. You and I, every single one of us, having sinned and, and separated from God. We are Gentiles in the truest sense of the Word. Not just in ethnicity. We are, we are Gentiles in that we are far from God. What Ephesians chapter 2 described as those who are without God and without hope in the world, we have been born separated from God. We're born as natural men, destined for an eternal hell. And we are sinners by nature and by choice. But because of the Gospel, because of the Gospel, we become fellow heirs. That word is so incredible. It represents all that is wrapped up in sonship. The fact that we become heirs of the Heavenly Father. We're His sons. We're children of God. Not by nature, but by faith through Jesus Christ. We're born again. And so we are sinners and yet can become sons. Is that not good news this morning? That's pretty good news. Amen? That you and I can become sons of the living God. Then he says that we were banished. The banished can belong. Notice it. He says that they are members of the same body. He had already said in chapter 2 that they were strangers of the commonwealth of Israel. They're not apart. There's this great separation between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were the people of God, although they rebelled. Jews were the people of God and had the Holy Scriptures, and yet Gentiles didn't have this available to them, and, and so they didn't belong. And you, you and I, as, as sinners separated from God, were banished. You see, the reality of the Gospel is not that Jesus came into the world to condemn the world. He came in the world that the, that the condemned might be saved. That through Him we might be saved. And yet, we were born condemned already. You see, we've already been banished from the kingdom because of our sin. And yet, God, through His only Son, He sent Jesus into the world that those who were banished might now belong. And we don't become apart, apart from anything but Jesus Christ and His blood. We become common heirs. We become those who are now a part of the people of God. And then He says that the poor can receive the promise we're members of the same body and partakers of the promise. What is the promise? Well, there is so much contained in God's promises. You can read all throughout Scripture, and yet we, apart from a holy God, apart from Jesus Christ, before a holy God, we do not receive the promises of God. They do not belong to us. Because God has not given them to us who rebel. He's given His promises to those who are in Christ. But in Christ, all of the promises of, of God are yes and amen. You see, we are not just physically poor. Some of you may be the richest people in all the world. I doubt it. I'm not. But uh, some of you may find yourself in that position. But all of us, every single one of us, are spiritually bankrupt without Christ. We have nothing to offer God. And yet, God in Jesus gives us everything. All of His promises. 
every single one of them, and above all of them, the promise of eternal life with Him if we'll trust in Christ. All of this happens because of those last few words of verse 6. Through the Gospel. All of these things given to us by the Word through the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've talked an awful lot about Gospel this morning. It simply means good news. You need to know this morning that the Gospel is literally good news. The world has invented a hundred different Gospels. But what we're describing is not just any Gospel. It is the Biblical Gospel. And here it is. God created us in His image and He is holy and righteous. And you and I, as His creation, rebelled against Him. The Bible calls that sin. We desired to be the Lord of our own lives. And the Bible says that the penalty of that is to be condemned forever in hell separated from a holy God. His wrath is upon us. But the good news is that Jesus came to fill that spot. Jesus came to receive the wrath of God onto Himself. He came that you and I might be forgiven. He shed His blood for us. He took our penalty upon Himself. He exchanged our filthiness, our sinfulness for His righteousness. He justified us and declared us righteous before a holy God. And He is saving us by His grace and for His glory. That is the Gospel. And anyone who would repent of their sin and put their trust in Jesus Christ, will be saved. And so this morning, maybe you, like Douglas, need to trust in Christ. Maybe you, like many others across this room, need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you in this room, you say, I've never trusted in Jesus, Pastor. I want to invite you to come today. It will not be by your good works. It will not be anything that you have done. It will be only by what Christ has done for you. And you've just got to surrender to Him this morning. Others of you in this room, I want to talk to the Christians for just a moment before we move to a time of invitation. You have something of infinite worth before you. And it is every reason for us to continue into our 75th year as South Whittians, as Southern Baptists, but more than that as followers of Jesus Christ. Every reason in the world. Hold this as a sacred trust. I want to invite you to stand with me all across the room and bow your heads. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. Just simply a time for you to respond. The altar is going to be open. We're going to have music playing from the back. But it's not important, all of those things around you. What's important what right now in these moments is that you do business with the Lord. <clears throat> Maybe you need to come to this altar and you need to spend some time in prayer. I don't know what the case is. Maybe you need to come and say, Pastor, today I want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to Him right now. I'm starting clean, starting over, and God's got my life. He's my Lord. Today I want to surrender my life. And you need to come. And so in just a few moments, as I pray... You begin to come. Lord, 
have Your will in this place. I pray that we would surrender our lives to You and that You would receive glory and honor by all that takes place in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.